Today, there are two million descendants of French-Canadian immigrants living in New England. These are our stories. Welcome to the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. Venez tous jeunes filles et garçons, je vais vous raconter l'histoire de notre immigration ici au USA, de grands aventuriers de pays étrangers. This is the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. I am Jesse Martineau. Now, today's guest is someone listeners of the podcast will recall from our COVID-19 special. Remy Francoeur is a native of Manchester, New Hampshire. He's currently a public relations and communications consultant in Montreal. And he is working on a book project that is getting a significant amount of attention in Franco-American circles called The Last Franco-American. We'll definitely talk about Remy. Welcome to the French Canadian Legacy Podcast. Thank you. Merci. Yeah, so now, normally, one of my first questions that I ask a guest is where they grew up, but I kind of spoiled that in your intro. So let's talk about your family then. Where, where are your folks from? Um, well, well, I grew up on the west side. So oh, sorry, we got to specify the west side of Manchester. Oh, here. yeah, you know, like a <laughs> typical um, west side. I'm like, uh, I know like two others like me of our generation that were like the last to have French as our first language from first generation American parents. My father and his uncle uh, and my uncles are from this small town called Gramai, which is, I mean, in French for grandmother, next gotcha. to Schoen again. And then, like, the next closest thing, half an hour away from Three Rivers. So, oh, okay. probably a lot of listeners know what that is. Yep. And then my mother's, my mother's from Manchester. She's Franco-American. Nice. And her parents are from Quetzcook, right on the border, in Sherbrooke. Sherbrooke. Well, that's very, very cool. So, I mean, I guess what brought your dad down to Manchester? I, I think our family was, if not the last family, one of the last families to come down to, like, uh, for better economic opportunity in the late 60s. And they worked in the mills and talk about, like, not good foresight, but it's right before they last closed. Yeah, sure. Right. Um, all the, uh, my dad and the uncles um, went from working in the mills to union construction, like a typical French-Canadian guy. Do you know which mill they worked at? Out of curiosity. The Wombach. Oh, really? That's where my yeah. grandparents met. That's awesome. That's very, very cool. <laughs> yeah, and the, uh, the Chicopee Mill also. <laughs> That's where my mom works. Oh, this is a good story. It's sorry, it's, I clapped. Mike hates when I clap because. Oh, oh yes, oh yes. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, high five from six six feet away. <laughs> no, that's very very cool. You hit the that was the two winners right there. One back and Chicka Pee. Very yeah, awesome. Like, All right. I feel. I mean, I I feel like I I uh, I grew up like very typical, like as stereotypical French Canadian. As, uh, I mean, I think a lot of people did, but I think it, most people were like the generation before me. Right. Yeah. And that's what makes your, your story super, super interesting. So because you grew up speaking French in the house. Yeah. How, did you have any, I don't know, friends, family of, I mean, we're the same age of our generation that you knew yeah. that spoke French? Because like you, like you mentioned, usually it was lost like I, I always considered myself part of the first generation that lost it, but you you are the rare exception there. Well, we basically it's like the enclave. We I mean they were, they knew the people that came in. Well, obviously not off the boat, but they knew the came the people that came in immigrated about the same years. So they uh, these are kind of still like the church going years. So they sure everybody 
you know, neighbors, uh, West Side is a small, and it's like the Upper West Side, so everybody knew each other, celebrated the holidays together, barbecues, and uh, but not like American-style barbecues. It would be a lot of, like, I'd say, like, more, I don't know, jovial? Uh, like, okay. like, the libations would uh, help people <laughs> start singing and dancing. Nice. Oh, that's I don't know of our generation, our age, I only know of two other people that are from the West Side. Two to three other, actually three other people that uh, grew up with French being their first language. Wait, now, did you feel different, like, among your peers growing up, knowing that, you know, you're one of three that, that is not well, speaking the same language as everybody else? To me, like, I, so I went to, like, um, so for the people from Manchester, I went to Brown School, then uh, Northwest Elementary, Parkside, and West High School. And it's, to me, it would just, it it was a majority of the people that were in school. So it just, it just felt like the norm, the, like the references. And then all the parents spoke French together, mostly, not, not all of them, a lot of them. So what's funny is like, since moving up here, there's a lot of like family names that I didn't realize were even French. And I just realized <laughs> how to really say them in French. But like, I remember talk about awkward, like my father, when I was like six, seven, eight, even up to like, I don't know, 11, when he'd have like days off or his union was on strike and he'd walk us to school in the morning and then like he'd give us kisses on the cheeks and like that wouldn't, that, that was, you know, a <laughs> stark difference, cultural difference. Yeah. So he must have been mortified. Yeah, well, That's especially awesome. at that age. At that age. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, yeah. did you guys celebrate all the traditions that we hear about you know we got the midnight mass reveal pork pie goton all that fun stuff yeah so i mean most of the people like we'll just say they're americanized after generations being here or my like friends that were like of irish descent i'll just say like my friends were americanized um they celebrated like christmas day or uh, they didn't stay up as late and i mean <laughs> nights would start at like Say Chris, uh, Christmas Eve mass, midnight mass, right. and then we'd like go until like, I mean, the adults would be up to like three to four or five in the morning, um, singing, dancing, telling jokes, and uh, playing awesome. instruments. Um, and it like the only thing I can compare it to, well, actually, the best thing is like if we think of like Irish drinking songs or pub songs, sure, yeah, or rebel songs, that's literally what it was, except for in French. And everybody would like sing along on the refrain. And some of these songs I realized that our family, at least part of our family is from Normandy. And some of these songs are like old drinking sailor songs that oh, are wow. from there that time. Yeah. That is awesome. Now, was, was this the typical call and response type songs? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so great that you got that experience. Like, to me, it's neat because, like you said, a lot of this was lost the generation before you for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I only had, like, two other people that could relate to two other people our age that could relate to this. It was, like, I felt like I had this, like, I grew up in the culture, but then it was, like, slow. It was very much, no, actually, it was very much slipping away. And we were becoming, like, a dying species. Yeah, now I kind of want to hit on that a little bit because you mentioned a few times you grew up on the West Side. We've talked about this podcast before. The West Side was considered, you know, the French side of town. Um, there was the old, always the joke that you know you needed a passport to cross the river. 
Were the institutions in that area, could you still, like, say, show up at a restaurant and hear people speak French? Could you still, when you were growing up, go to a bank or a store or sit in a barbershop and have people speak French? Because for, you know, obviously for decades, that was the case on the West Side. Did you still get to see some of that growing oh, up? Actually, this is, so I've discovered this, well, one, yes, growing up. Growing up was like the the social clubs that barely exist now, but they're um, like the Rimming Club. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. The Alpine Club. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's like, like two others. I think there's like there's one that's called Le, Le Sec in uh, Pinardville. Okay. I don't know. And so there you'd walk in and it's not really, uh, it doesn't exist that way anymore. I mean, it's like you might find a couple French speaking people, but it'd be, my God, it'd be like uh, almost all French. Same thing with Chez Vachon. Chez Vachon, you oh, I mean, yes. still. A lot of French people that go there at certain hours, but not nearly as much. Oh, okay. Two other places on Kelly Street is uh, Willie Bebo's hair, uh, Barbershop. Yeah. Who was a former, uh, he had played, I believe, for the Bruins. And um, right next door, it's third generation. Um, oh, Rivards. It's called Rivton Shoes. All right. And they still, it's third generation French speaking. It's, it's, it's impressive. But other than that, I don't. Oh, and I gotta, I gotta, get, I gotta mention. And if people are Franco-Americans, they'll know. Um, oh, his name's escaping me. But on Orange Street is that Roger Lassert. Yes, thank you. An institution, what used to be the old uh, bank, the first credit union in the states. Um, until they, I mean, they they tore it down and made way for the new building. But that place, all the ATMs were in French and you had to press like two for English. For oh, that's years. awesome. That's and awesome. Then, same thing with like the bank tellers when you were like in the queue line. Yeah. You'd, uh, the, the tellers would have uh, j'appelle français and most of them did. Oh, that's cool. The other thing that um, there was most of the, um, uh, the corner store, convenience stores on the west side were French speaking like Bolio's Market, Saint-Dons, yeah, there was like three to four. Yeah, it's like where everybody congregated and just. Uh, that's awesome. Daily life. No, that's so cool. Yeah, honestly, because girl, I mean, girl, I'm from Manch, my whole well, my childhood in Manch, but it was funny. I never really experienced that because we didn't see the West Side very often just growing up for whatever yeah. reason. So, how did you end up in Montreal? Um, so I moved away for a few years to right next to Providence in Boston. Um, and then coming back, I'd always wanted or yearned to have a Piatai or like some sort of piece of property in Quebec. Sure. One of the regions in greater in Quebec province. So when I came back to, to Manchester, the big irony is that I came back and I just felt a bit of homesickness in my hometown. And, gotcha. uh, like there was nobody under like I don't uh, we'll say under 65 at least to speak French with and it wasn't like back when I had a high school job or right after and like you'd encounter you know I was at the grocery store or whatever and you'd sure. encounter people speaking French all the time and it doesn't really happen anymore it's a very small it's the exception it's. I. I still believe there can be a, a. There can be a revival like there's been in Louisiana. Sure. But I think there needs to be a lot more links created, in different ways 
north of the border. I mean, we're only four hours apart. But so I, I realized, well, one, I realized that I could get my citizenship, my dual citizenship. So I got that because of my father had lived in. So this is the funny part. My father had lived in the U.S. for 39 years. He passed away in 2010. So 39 years on his green card, permanent resident. Oh, wow. So never got his um, citizenship. So that was my direct, uh, direct link. Gotcha. So I now have dual citizenship. I arrived here in December 2015. Um, to me, it was, I mean, Montreal, um, it's metropolitan. It's really uh, edgy. It's got a great music scene. Every, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's People are friendly. And I mean, it's got a whole different culture. I mean, Toronto, most of the other Canadian cities, uh, I mean, they're great. I mean, Toronto just feels, uh, I think Toronto kind of feels like a polished Chicago and then uh, Vancouver feels like um, San Francisco and Seattle had a baby. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I've never been to either of those two towns. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, to me, being French-Canadian has its own identity in Quebecois, um, both. So, I, it just, it, to me, it felt good. Every time I, I, I'd come up here before I moved up here, it was like, uh, it just like, like nourished or fed my soul. So, it, that's it just awesome. felt like a natural, uh, natural uh, choice. Like the way you belonged. That's cool. Yeah. I like that yeah. a lot. Now, we mentioned in the intro the last Franco-American project, and I definitely would like to talk about that. But first, what gets everybody's attention, which means it's an awesome title because people get to talk about it just on the title. What is Why the Last Franco-American? So, ironically, in the last few months, I've met a few others. Um, <laughs> a couple others but... I really felt that way when I grew uh, like just growing up. The older I got, the more I felt like I was the last one to even be knowledgeable of like how we grew up, our traditions, um, the like the songs that we just made reference to, sure. um, which is like singing and answering and just uh, the the part where I mean we stayed up late I mean suppers lasted longer it wasn't just like oh big Thanksgiving meal the biggest meal of uh, the American culture but it's done in like forty five minutes to an hour so yeah uh, it was more uh, I don't know it's uh, I'd say it was more I, I know I'm generalizing here but more jovial but sure. the last Franco yeah I. I, I ended up really feeling like I could no longer really live my life, even partly in French or and with the traditions. And I, and my Irish friends, some of them first generation, second generation in Boston and in New England. Um, but there, there's never any question of pride. There's Irish pride, but like, sure. but French Canadian or Quebecois pride. I mean, why not? I mean, we did so much. We've got a first credit union. You know, there's so many things to be proud of. Of course, yeah. Um, and I mean, we could go on about accomplishments or just uh, just foods. All, all of pe- what people think is Canadian food, it's not. It's it's Quebec food. It's where we come from. Uh, same thing with uh, music. It's very distinct. Being the last. It, it it that's the way it really it was the feeling and I thought it was the last Franco American. Um, there's a few others, but it doesn't really take away from the sentiment. And I think my dad is like the last immigrant to move down to work in the mills, and I think he moved down in 1970, mid 1970, which is really that is late. 
It's way I, just, I lived like, I lived like an enclave within an enclave. Yeah, for sure. And then, like a generation or half a generation kind of like late because of my family. Like my 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 dad never. I mean, he spoke just enough English to get by. To, to, sure. So and same thing with half my uncles. So um, I feel like you know it could have easily been like twenty years before that or thirty years before that. Yeah, this is such a unique experience. That is so awesome. That's very cool. Now, what? First of all, why why write a book? What are you, what are you trying to get across? With I never thought I had anything worth. Well, not that like I don't have anything worth writing about. Nothing that would be like extraordinarily it set me apart. Um, I mean, everybody, a lot of people could you know have a story, the unique story, or overcoming hardships and so on. Uh, but I moved up to Quebec and uh living in montreal and anybody who has an appreciation even if they weren't francophone um french speaking sure they were in awe and i didn't realize i was quote unquote that well they viewed they viewed me as special they a huge exception they didn't even know that this still existed in terms of being a francophone in new england from and growing up with the same traditions they did so i realized that something maybe needed to be written addressing the the awe that like I would always be introduced with and all the questions that would ensue and then I realized like south of the border there yes sure we have plenty of like books on the mills or books on the history kind of like it's more historically based so I figured yeah. I'd do both and you know talk, address both nor- like audiences like invoking emotion and the pride on both sides, because people up here have no clue about how Desjardins up here, the largest credit union and the first, uh, designed to help the French Canadian Catholics before they were like before they really had, could save money. Um, well, save money and like teach them whatever uh, design institutions for them, and the same thing. Like so, the Bishop of Manchester invited you know like this is not known on either side he invited right. uh alphonse alphonse desjardins like stuff like that so that's why i wrote a book like you know it, it's like we have such huge reasons to be proud yeah uh, is, is your book in english or is it in french so okay so this kind of goes into the first like other than so being in manchester we uh, um and you'll like confirm this um starting <laughs> in seventh grade we had the option of um having french as a second language a foreign language and then right. in high school at least at west we had three other languages for choices so i decided in seventh grade to finally learn or attempt to learn start to learn how to read and write the language i knew only orally and a lot of slang Gotcha. And so I wrote it to, I mean, to get back to your question, I wrote it in French, but then I realized, I mean, I've never read, uh, read a long book or been, you know, I, I read it over after I, I had sent it to a few people up here and I just, I realized it was lacking a lot. It just, it was not just sentence structure, but it's, I mean, there was, so basically I added a lot of like quote unquote just kind of like juice to it, more personality, more hook. Sure. And then, uh, I mean, you know, we grew up reading 
whatever we can talk about the great American novel novel uh, writers authors and same sure. thing with English but we didn't read Moliere you know Moliere on and so yeah so I originally wrote it in French and I then I spent like 14 months rewriting it and translating it at the same time to English so the, the play is to release in English then the first yeah. one yeah, but at the same time, I'm hoping uh, to get it released in French also. And people up here are like, why in English? You know, because it's the whole, like, uh, you know, proud about the language. And I'm like, I just want to, I, I agree. There's half of me that agrees, but the other half, sure. I want to say, like, why, why preach to the choir? Like, you should, get <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's, I mean, to me, it's a great way of addressing uh, both sides of the border. No, that's interesting. Yeah, if you get it in both languages, that'd be really, really cool. All right, a couple more, then we'll get you out. But I did want to know, because I'm always finding curious, because we've talked to a number now of guests who have come from the States. They were, you know, Franco-American heritage, come from the States, moved, moved up to Quebec, established a life there. And we talked about how kind of they would have been treated by the locals they ran into there and kind of their new neighbors and stuff. Obviously viewed as in a lot of cases as an outsider because even if they spoke French, it was clear that French was not their first language. And I'm wondering if that was different for you. Uh, that even though obviously you grew up and lived your life in the states, when you get there, you not only speak French, but you speak their French. You know what I mean? I wonder if was that different. So what's okay? This is where it gets really um, where where let's say listeners, including you and people that we kind of know that we know from Manchester, they'll find this humor humorous. And the same thing with, like, let's say all uh, people from north of the border will find this humorous. Um, so I speak, <laughs> well, not so much anymore. I can go back to it. It's more like, you know, like you, when we hear friends that are from the south that are like, oh, you can't, you know, the, the maybe after a couple beers or after when he's around his friends or <laughs> he's around his friends, yeah. you know, something draw will come out. Sure. So that's more, that's kind of like me and like the old, so basically the, at least the first six to 12 months, People would like be like, "Whoa, what did you say?" And they're like, "I haven't heard that word or expression since my grandparents." Yeah. So that would be like a lot of those experience experiences. Sure. Um, they were amazed that I'd, I had the same accent, or very very similar accent. Right. But the only thing that was different is like here and there. Fairly often, especially after I moved, um, would be phrases, words that they hadn't heard in a long time, like from their grandparents or uncles. So that's what they found uh, pretty funny. It's like saying, I don't know, the only thing I can think of is like, I mean, in New England, it was like how people used to say tonic or swell, you know? Yeah, tonic, yeah. My <laughs> grandfather said tonic, sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny because I had a semi-similar experience because I've been able to connect with people uh, in Quebec through the podcast, and I was talking with my buddy, it was in Drummondville, and I used the, the word, uh, I referred to my Pepe. Oh, yeah. And he, and he just started laughing. He's the same kind of deal. It was like, <laughs> I, we haven't heard that word since my grandparents. It's like, true. Yeah. yeah, they even, I mean, we even say it slightly different than they do. It's, yeah, it's an old word. I had no idea that that wasn't still a thing up there until I talked to him. But now it's all. <laughs> It's very fun. Okay, now if people want to follow your project, they want to be able to get in line when this book comes out, they want to be able to purchase it, where can we get them so they can so, stay clued in? One, I haven't found a literary agent yet. That's what I'm starting to look for in the States. Yeah. Uh, 
so we're in terms of like the process it hasn't gone to um it hasn't been even been published or accepted anywhere yet gotcha so but in terms of like i i've i've opened up about a year ago um a well i have remyfrancois.com where i've had some um blogs on huffington post in french Very and cool. english and then uh there's a facebook page that's titled the last franco-american where there's videos there's a couple c-span videos where they're talking about like the old uh, french neighborhood and a lot of references that's awesome so we gotta make sure we got a link first of all, what was that huffington post about i also dipped into there was a big controversy in montreal for a bit of time about how a lot of people downtown in the tourist area old montreal greeting people with bonjour hi Oh yeah, I heard about this. Yeah. yeah, so and it sounds so friendly, and it—I mean, there's nothing super wrong with it. There's nowhere else in the world like there's more of a Spanish population in Providence than there's an English population here. And I mean, it's not like anybody's going to be like intimidated if somebody says bonjour. Like you go to another country and you expect to—I mean—in the ensuing conversation, would sure if you if if they can accommodate speaking English, but like. You know, just greet a. I, I I think it's beautiful. You know, you go somewhere and you're. It, it's uh, French is a beautiful language. Why 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 uh, why you have to greet somebody in another language? Yeah, I thought that was a fun, interesting controversy. Yeah. Oh yeah, that got a lot of attention. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, well, Remy. This has been way fun. This flew by actually. Thank you so much. Thank you uh, for joining us. We'll make sure to link where people can get your articles. Profit to post and make sure to link where people can get on that Facebook page to follow this project. And I'm on uh, I'm on all the social media like Twitter, Facebook. So. Nice. Oh. Make sure to get those out. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, yes. sir. Thank you. Pleasure. Now our fathers look at us and sigh with despair to think that everything they love we simply do not share. But the spirit never dies. Our culture will survive. Each of us must choose how much to keep alive. Each of us must choose how much to keep alive. Special thanks to Josie Vashon for providing the music. You can find more about her at josievashon.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Mike Campbell. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at fclpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at fclpodcast for more information about the topics discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this episode.